Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you're a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, growing abundantly, and if you want to improve your overall life. My name is Jay Phantom, and I've made it my purpose to unbox and share the amazing stories from people of every profession all over the world. I'm grateful that you're here today. Let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Storybox. Glad that you guys have decided to tune in today. Hope you're all doing well, keeping safe out there. For those of you that are new to the show, welcome. My name is Jay Phantom and I am your host and the founder of the Storybox. I absolutely love unboxing people's stories and having organic and real conversations with people. It is my absolute joy today to bring to you someone who I have admired for quite some time now and whose work has inspired me to become better in my own life. His name is Dave Hollis. He, uh, I believe you guys might recognize the last name because his, his ex-wife now is Rachel Hollis. But Dave himself has, has forged his own incredible career uh, and you're going to hear more about it on today's episode. But for those of you that don't know who Dave is, Dave wrote the books and the first one, the New York Times bestselling book, Get Out of Your Own Way. He's got an upcoming children's book, Tea Time with Daddy, and an upcoming new book that he is releasing very, very soon, I believe, Built Through Courage. Dave is also a coach on Growth Day, growthday.com uh, slash Hollis, which you can go check out. I highly encourage you guys to do that. He is a host of an ever-popular podcast called Rise Together with over 10 million plus downloads. That was way back in 2020. It's now 2021, which you can imagine the numbers have since increased. Since then, Dave speaks regularly on mindset, leadership, and he has also a mini schnauzer who knows no tricks at all. He is a member of the Motion Picture Academy and has previously sat on the innovation board uh, called Fandango Labs on the board of Will Rogers Motion Pictures Pioneers, the board of Foster Care Charity, Austin Angels, and the board of Pepperdine's Institute for Entertainment, Media, and Culture. Dave believes in the importance of variety in a career as a prerequisite for, con uh, for considering any candidate. Having, any, having had jobs in research, publicity, talent management, grassroots marketing, uh, brand management, retail strategy, technology, innovation, and sales has rounded his expertise and affords an informed, solution-oriented macro view of any business. Dave also worked for the Walt Disney Company, which... 
we do speak a little bit about in this episode. But this was a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed it. We had a little bit of a audio hiccup in the very beginning, but Dave, once again, was really kind and generous with uh, forgiving me about that and we're able to uh, still speak. Nonetheless, uh, the audio is different from my end because I was using my AirPods and not the usual mic that I had. Uh, unfortunately, you know, audio issues. But anyway, don't let that stop you from tuning in to this episode. Listen to Dave uh, and his wisdom intently. I know that you guys are going to love it. Uh, if you're a fan of Dave's already, fantastic. So please do me a huge favor, share this episode around with your friends and your family. Uh, make sure to also subscribe before you go if you would enjoy this one. Uh, leave a five-star rating and review over and over podcast. We absolutely love uh, rating and reviews here. Don't forget to tag Dave Hollis. Let him know what you thought of this episode. And uh, yeah, you can watch the full episode now over on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. Just type in the story box and it should come up. Um, or you can click the link in, in the show notes below, Facebook, Instagram, whole bit. Um, your support is always greatly appreciated. So you guys know what time it is. It's time to get out of our own way today and listen to the incredible wisdom and story of Dave Hollis. So ladies and gentlemen, let's dive into the story box. Oh, Jay, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to be with you. It's a pleasure to have you here. I know we had a bit of an audio and, and technology issue before, but <laughs> the main thing is you're here uh, and I'm so grateful that you've decided to, to join me today. Before we dive into your backstory, how you got started doing all this amazing work, why you decided to write the book in the first place, I have one question I love asking all my guests at the very start, which is what does success look like to you? Success to me is every single day taking a step closer to who our creator intended us to be. So I believe that every single person who's listening, myself included as a guest, uh, that we were created with intention and that the design, the deliberate design of our creator is something that every single day we have a responsibility to honor by showing up for our life, choosing growth, doing hard things, choosing uncertainty, whatever it might be. And so my definition of success is for every single day that follows this one, making progress towards this full honoring of the intention of a creator who in making me very uniquely me and making you very uniquely you, um, that you might do everything you can to continue the growth journey that you're on till the end of time in a way that when you get to the end of your life, you can say, man, I did everything I could to honor the design as it was intended. Mm. When was the moment for you that you realized that this exactly was success? Has it been like this gradual thing over time for you? Or was there like a catalyst moment somewhere? Oh, it's, it's something that's definitely newer in my life. I had, uh, I had a career in entertainment for about 25 years at the time. And had you asked this question of me a decade ago, my answer would have been connected more to a title, to the way I might participate in certain organizations, the kind of compensation I might create, the relationships or status that I might hold. And I hit 40 
and really had a bit of an existential midlife crisis-ish kind of time in grappling with why the heck am I on this planet? What does it all mean? Why have I been afforded these gifts? And uh, in some respects, was so comfortable in doing the work that I was doing, wasn't in a position to necessarily have to use all of them, that I had to really start asking a completely different set of questions around what success looked like and what for me ended up being a pursuit for fulfillment. And what I've come to appreciate in three totally chaotic years of change, some of the change that I chose, some of the change that was chosen for me, uh, but the decision to embrace change and move through fear into discomfort for the opportunity to grow is where I've found fulfillment. And a lot of how I think now about that definition of success is connected to this appreciation that though it may be easier at times for us to justify just being okay with being okay, staying connected or docked at a safe harbor that we're familiar with, mm -hmm. that is also in some respects choosing a suffering that we know rather than facing some of the uncertainty where something outside of suffering, something closer to fulfillment can come, though it takes more work. So it requires you have good coping mechanisms for the triggers of facing your insecurity or working through your imposter syndrome or having to deal with the way that other people might be judging what you're up to. And uh, man, it's in these, in these last three years, for sure, I just turned 46. It's been the, the best of my journey. And it's also, frankly, been the hardest of my journey. But I think that there is this duality where you can hold both, that a lot of times, though we don't want to necessarily have to go through the hard experiences, it's because of, not in spite of, those hard experiences that we become who we're meant to be. Mm, that's a beautiful way of describing that. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of questions that I have coming from that response. The first one I want to go back a little bit to, you mentioned that you ended up in a midlife crisis. And... I'm curious, what were some of the questions that you asked yourself during the midlife crisis to help you get out of it? And what caused the midlife crisis in the first place? Well, I'll start with the answer to the second question first. Mm. I was the beneficiary of extraordinary mentors, a fantastic team, and pretty fast career growth after having first worked at 20th Century Fox at a talent agency, did some grassroots marketing as a tour manager for some musical acts, I ended up at the Walt Disney Company. And I spent 17 years inside the company, the last seven of which had me as the head of sales, the, the, the chief of distribution for the movie studio. So my job was putting movies into theaters, an extraordinary job. It, it's just truly one of the best jobs in, on the planet. And as I took the job, the acquisition of Pixar had just recently happened. Not long into my job, the acquisition of Marvel Studios happened. A couple years later, the acquisition of Lucasfilm happened. And so the cachet of intellectual property that I was working on was absolutely 100% the greatest arguably the greatest collection in the history of the movie business. And that was amazing, but also as the person trying to compel movie theaters to take a Star Wars or Avengers movie, when you have the leverage of that kind of quality, when you have the strength of these teams and the strength of the leadership, uh, 
it didn't require as many of the skills that previously to use, certainly at the beginning when I had the job and I didn't know what I was doing, as the learning curve was somewhat achieved or, or conquered and uh, the, the, the leverage of those films were now making the job something that was comfortable for me. I was struggling a little bit with getting what I would argue is straight A grades for not having to study for tests. And so my the crisis, as it were, I didn't really have a, a good handle on what it was at the time. I just knew that I should have felt a lot happier than I did, given the things that I was experiencing, and I couldn't connect to feeling a, a deep sense of fulfillment, right? Like I thought, hey, when I get to this level, when I become president, or when I get to this salary, if I get a contract that creates security over some length of time, then I'll feel this sense of fulfillment. And when it didn't come, I was, it just was confusing for me. And so I, I was sitting out back, I, I mentioned it in the book with one of my sons, three of us in, in the hot tub. He asks if we can play this game, ask dad anything, of course we can. He asked this very innocent question, what are you most afraid of? And out of my mouth fell that I was most afraid of not living up to my potential, right? That I know like you, we've each been given a certain number of gifts, that in having those gifts to whom much is given, much is expected. There's a responsibility to use those gifts. And as much as that job was fantastic, and I, man, was so grateful for the opportunities that came with it, because of the strength of the team, the strength of the leadership, the filmmakers, and that intellectual property, I wasn't in a position where I was having to necessarily use every bit of what had been given to me. I wasn't maximizing my potential. And in that, wasn't feeling fulfilled in part because I'd stopped growing. And so what I now have come to really appreciate is this connection that exists between growth and fulfillment that you have to be in a posture of growth if you're going to feel fulfilled. And so the questions that I started asking as I was in this crisis moment was, well, what would it take for me to feel something that's a departure from the comfort of this safe harbor that I've known and can do so well? Well, it would take me leaving some of this comfort and choosing a route of discomfort for the opportunity to learn. And so I made a decision that I'd argue many people wouldn't. And I, uh, you know, asked to be let go from my contract. I left uh, the Walt Disney Company as that head of sales. And I went into entrepreneurship and a startup uh, role inside of a small business that my wife and I at the time were um, looking to scale. And for the next three years worth of time, scale we did. It was incredible. And there was, man, so much learning in part because of how many mistakes we were making, how hard it was to pivot from a corporate environment to this small business environment. Mm -hmm. But in that discomfort, of course, the fulfillment was present because I was now again in this position to grow. Mm -hmm. Speaking about growth and how that equals fulfillment, I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing. I think that God enabled that for a specific purpose that whenever we go through, especially challenges, right? Whenever we go through those challenges, he made a way for us to become stronger and better. But I'm curious about this, this learning aspect to growth. Now, what should, in your opinion, what should we be learning 
in order to grow and reach that sense of fulfillment? Is it just anything or is it something specific that we should be learning? Well, if you can find a way to really isolate, I, I, I mean, I, I tend to think about your why, like, well, you know, like how do you best unlock the gifts so that you can connect to something that will keep you motivated on the days that you're not and driven towards a vision for a better version of your future. I tend to think about four components that would help anyone narrow in on where they ought to focus on growth the most. And that is first, where are you passionate? right? Like really being curious and allowing a whole bunch of different curiosity. Like can you imagine just throwing a bunch of lines in the water so that you're playing and pulling on threads to see, well, where, do, where does my passion lie? So if you start with where you're curious and then spend some time doing a little bit of diagnostic work on where you have strength, right? Where, where do you have strength? Because I'm all about, and I would argue for anyone, Growing what you already have some competency inside of creates mastery, and mastery is a place from which you can actually have the maximum amount of impact, where you actually can, from a, a posture of confidence, do even more because you believe even more in yourself. Um, the third place is where can you have impact? Where can you be light, right? It's not enough to just be passionate. It's not enough to just be good. When you can find a way to take your passion and the thing that you have competency for and use it to actually affect others, there's something inside of you that lights up and feels like purpose, right? Mm -hmm. And then the last piece is because all of us have responsibilities for family, how can you make money from the thing that you're ultimately looking at, right? And so finding a way to see where there's a converging point around where your passion, what you're good at, how you can affect or impact others, and how you could make some money to support your family or scale the thing that's affording the impact um, is the place that I would start. Mm -hmm. um, but more than anything, truly, it's about putting yourself into spaces that previously you have not been for the opportunity to fail which is a strange thing to say because man, there's just such an aversion to failure generally in society. But the reality is if you're not in a position to fail, you are also in a position where you will not grow. Mm -hmm. And so reframing the way that we think about failure, not as an indictment on us not being good enough or worthy, but truly as the richest source of information on the planet and the trail of breadcrumbs that were you brave enough to follow, you might in fact find the areas where you can grow, where you can learn more, where you'd maybe not make that same mistake again for having put yourself out there and failed so that you could do it better the next time. And the, the reality is the fear that we have for failure isn't so much in having made the mistake. We have an ego-driven worry of other people judging our having tried something and failing when number one, they're not even truly paying attention for the most part. And two, if you are being judged, it's often by people sitting in the bleachers, not actually doing the thing that you're trying to do. And like a spectator in a sport, those people can have voices, but if they're not in the arena, they don't get to play the game. And so the more that you can separate, hey, I need to be in a posture of failure is for me so that I can actually try and grow, and be dismissive of the worry of whatever someone might think for you failing, 
um, you give yourself that opportunity to actually become, to evolve, to get to some higher, more self-actualized version of yourself. Mm, I agree with everything you just said there. I love it. Uh, I'm curious, like for you, Dave, right now, what would you say is your your biggest failure and fear currently? And then my second question is kind of the complete opposite. What would you say has been your greatest achievement and why? So for, for the biggest failure, what's interesting is I, as a part of the job that I had at the Walt Disney Company, was a manager of the press. In addition to selling things, I was the person on Sundays who would spin whatever performance was happening in the box office as good news, irrespective of what kind of news it was. I, I had a career earlier on as a publicist. I uh, you know, have worked in PR in some way or fashion for many, many years. And there's a little bit of that muscle memory that I think manifests itself in representing a version of myself to others that at times dismissed the truth of my experience. You know, it might be in social, everything's fine. Trust me, everything's fine here. In relationships, it may have manifest in being a bit more of a people pleaser and not necessarily having as much a, an opinion for what mattered to me or, or even connecting as much to my own passions. And what I've come to appreciate is the, you know, in the social media sense, as a for example, you know, not owning our struggle does one of two things. One, it just absolutely 100% guarantees that you will feel more alone in that struggle because mm -hmm. of what ends up being the dissonance between the truth of your experience and the way that you're manufacturing and curating the optics of everything being fine. And two, when you're in that place where you've now isolated yourself, you don't have an opportunity to come into community with someone who may very well offer an empathy bridge to the experience that you're going through, that who may also be just a little further down the road in their journey and in that be able to offer you a trick, a tip, a hack in how they were able to overcome that thing in a way that if you were to take it, you could apply it to your life and also get over it as well. And so there, you know, like when I think of like, man, what do I wish I could have done a little bit differently? I wish that I had just been comfortable in a way that I feel comfortable today and just owning the truth of my experience, the struggle that I have, bringing my shame out of the dark into the light and just owning all of who I am. Um, in part, my fear, my greatest fear, as much as that fear prompts back when I was in the hot tub was about not living up to my potential. I've done a lot of work in therapy, certainly in the last year and in what's been a pretty tumultuous year for me. And I can tell you that my greatest fear is being truly and totally myself and not being loved for who I am, right? And so I think some of the reaction that I end up having in trying to use some of my skills as a salesperson, some of my skills as a PR guy, to tell a story that might be pleasing or palatable to you is an attempt to keep my greatest fear. If I were to show you all of who I am, you may reject, not love, not see me as being enough or worthy. And uh, any action that plays into that fear 
does so at the expense of intimacy, right? Mm -hmm. Closeness, meaningful depth in a relationship. Because if I in any way am manufacturing something that isn't authentically a reflection of who I am, I'm not actually connecting with the person that I'm interested in being in relationship with. I am allowing a caricatured, curated version of me to connect with that person, and that's not connection. So, um, I, you know, like I've I've had to, as a result of this decision to leave Disney, as a result of the work that I do, certainly I think it's reflected in the book. I just had to make a choice. You know what? I am going to own who I am, where I struggle, what I've worked through, and how I've learned along the way. And if there are people that choose that I'm not for them, they don't want to love me, or then I'm not their person. And that's okay. There's actual peace in getting the clarity on those not being your people. And it comes with the freedom of being able to stand comfortably in my shoes and recognize that, oh, this is who I am. And, mm. uh, and I think part of why the work that I do works is that in sharing something that is very much just a reflection of my own humanity, I am hopefully giving someone else the opportunity to see some of their story in my own in a way that normalizes struggle. Because we all struggle. Like, Jay, you are awesome and you struggle. I am fantastic and I struggle. Listeners, you are good people and you struggle. And there ain't nothing wrong with struggle. It's just a part of what it means to be human. And when we can normalize struggle as a reflection of a pursuit of a good life, it gives us permission to own it, share it, come together in community around it, and get help from others who maybe have some tools to get help us stay at you know get and stay out of our way along the way. Mm. <laughs> so good. <laughs> uh, you're right. We all have our own set of struggles that often we we are trying to deal with and overcome. And you're right about me. I've got my own crazy amount <laughs> but i'm curious for you dave how has your faith helped play a part in managing this fear of loving oneself of loving the fact that you sometimes don't feel like you can be enough and you crave the uh love of somebody else for example yeah uh I mean, first and foremost, just the recognition that my faith is the beginning and end of my identity is a thing that I know, but that also I have to fight for space and connection with God to remind myself on the days that I forget. And there's, you know, like anybody else. Days where your insecurity, that voice in your head, it creeps in, pops up, ends up being something that you tend to listen to rather than what you absolutely 100% know. And it, it is, is a thing that, especially when you're going through a hard season, finding a way to allow a power greater than yourself permission to allow you to surrender some of that struggle is part of what allows you an ability to get through it. Uh, beyond that, I just was right. I'm finishing up the edits in my next book. And I, at the beginning, have uh, reference Peter being called out onto the water by Jesus, right? And he says, Lord, if you command me to come on the water, I will come to you, right? Mm -hmm. And Jesus just simply says the word come. Mm -hmm. 
right? And in doing it, he gives him some belief. Like he believes himself now capable of something that allows him to let go of his limiting beliefs, his worry, his anxiety, his insecurity. It's now been passed over to this higher power. And when he steps out on the water, he's now pushing away the doubt, the conventional ways of thinking about humans actually having an ability to walk on water. He believes himself now to be this person who is worthy of and is qualified for the, the thing that previously he wouldn't have thought himself, right? In this simple, in this like super significant command, and it was so simple, just come. The implication of that declaration was that he was pre-qualified for the task. And so he, in believing his pre-qualification, walks on water, right? Like it's a literal miracle. He does it. And what's interesting is, right, the wind picks up. If you don't know the story, the voices in his head emerge. He listens more to the narrative of his doubt than the promise of his collar, and he sinks. He goes underwater. He's gone because he, like any of us, is human. And so our faith, right? You, and by the way, like I, if you want to believe like me, fantastic. Happy to have all day conversations about what I believe. But whatever you believe, right? Like the ability to connect to your faith in a higher power is in part what gives you the belief in being qualified for the life you believe you deserve, qualified to handle your fear, qualified to overcome your insecurities. And I truly believe God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And so if you can, in a conversation around your faith, just believe that you have been given the mandate to come, in that single word, you have been given permission to release yourself from so many of the things that might otherwise keep you from believing that you can. Mm. It's also, I want to second that the story of Peter is a powerful story. The reason why, like, he took his focus, his gaze off God, and he noticed all the things that were happening around him, and he started to get afraid. He allowed fear to come into his heart and his mind, and that faith that he once had when he stepped out on the water, it dissipated, and it, that's why he started to sink. And then the beautiful moment of this is what God does if you believe this or not, he extended his hand and he pulled Peter up and he said, oh, yeah, you have little faith. Wherefore did you doubt? And it's like, that's exactly right for us when we're in our life. And we're, we're, I talk about having the faith only the size of a mustard seed. And it's only that much. Like if any, anyone's seen a mustard seed, it's like super tiny. But that ability to believe in what God can do through your life that can move mountains, that can change enormously. And I've seen it in, in my life, Dave, and I've read about it in your life and what that faith in God is so powerful and is able to do, but yet we make it complicated. We say because of the doubt, because of the fear, because we can't see it, quote, then why should I believe it? But really it's such a simple principle, but once again, we make it complicated. Yeah, there's a there's a quote that I used in the book, and I am using it in the next book. I, I might use it in every book, but it's a Les Brown quote, mm -hmm. and it's a, a quote that says, "Hope in the future is power in the present." Mm -hmm. And and I in like in some ways it it is about faith, right? Like this belief that you are moving towards something 
better, that, that, that things will continue to evolve in a, in a positive way, that the vision you have for your future is something that you can attach to and that you have belief, faith that it will happen. And when you have that, you have power in the present, mm. right? And, and so part of like the idea of, of faith, I, I talk in, in this book that I'm currently writing that like it starts with faith in the higher power, but then it also requires that you have faith in yourself. And I believe that the faith in the higher power in part is an injection that affords you this ability to believe in and have faith in yourself. But if you can't, right, if you can't have that hopeful vision for the future, if you don't have that faith, um, you're not going to have as much power today. And part of it is if you believe that the future will be better, if you are optimistic and not like rose colored glasses, but realistically optimistic and hopeful in what is possible, if you truly believe it, as you walk about the day today, you will, you will find evidence of that possibility present itself. Mm. But what's interesting is the opposite is also true. If you find yourself believing this is just my luck, it's always going to go like this, I can't get a break. You will also, as you go about your day today, find evidence of that as well. Because what we believe is what we inevitably end up seeing. And so part of why that idea of hope in the future is power in the present resonates is because it's because of the conceit, the belief that there is something greater that's coming that has those signs present themselves in your present. It doesn't mean that your hard stuff goes away. It doesn't mean that you don't necessarily still have fear. You just have the courage, you have the confidence, you have the belief in yourself and the surrender to a higher power to handle those things in a way that allows you to see the good inside of the headwinds that you might be experiencing on that given day. Do you believe, Dave, that having said all this, this enables you to become a much better leader? Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, the thing is, number one, people want to be led by someone that they're inspired by. And if you don't have just this belief that things are going to get better, a hopeful disposition, a positivity aura, then there isn't much to be inspired by. But mm -hmm. also, as a leader inside of an organization, as the leader of people, even inside of your friendship circle, when you have this kind of faith in things, long arc of history getting better, and you being on a journey that's never ending, having you evolve into a better person, you will be someone who's always witness to the signs of that possibility happening in a way that has other people saying, I don't know what that guy's drinking, but I need a sip right? Like that's people, people are just hungry for that kind of thing. And the ability for you to be in that kind of state consistently will create in you something that someone wants to follow. Because mm. you speak about variety and that we should aim for, for a bunch of things with our careers. And I'm curious, do you believe that uh, as a leader, in order to be a good one, I understand that you said a leader inspires people, but do you believe that in order to inspire people, we need to have all these different experiences or can we just have one particular one to inspire people, if that makes sense? 
Well, I, for as far as being inspirational, you could do the same thing every day for your whole career, as long as you're growing and continually innovating and evolving how you're approaching that thing. I, I think inspiration is agnostic to the diversity of the kind of skill that you might have picked up along the way. Hmm. I do think, though, and I, I say this out of having had the experience of starting in research, going to publicity, then talent management, grassroots marketing, I started when I was at Disney and home entertainment and product management, went into sales, had a technology role, went into some finance. I mean, I have had different roles across the spectrum of a broad business that from a marketability standpoint, I'm talking about me as a personal brand, as a candidate for any individual job to be able to say that, hey, I have this diversity of experience from each of these different seats that I've previously sat in that I believe makes me the only candidate that you could consider for this opportunity because of the way that I might be able to understand the context of why each of these different departments has the needs, needs the service, looking for the way that I might deliver value. And for someone who's interested in getting to the highest levels of your organization, the opportunity ends up being for you to think about, well, what would the person who's hiring be looking for? And what they're looking for is someone who has a broad sense of the levers inside the business, some degree of empathy for the individual needs of each of these diverse stakeholders, and an ability to understand when you pull lever A, how it might affect lever C, lever, level, lever M, whatever it ends up being down, down the line. And so for me to be able to sit in front of somebody in an interview and show them a resume that has all of these different experiences, every single time I was able to articulate in the storytelling of why me, that each of these experiences helped create somewhat, something of a renaissance man kind of approach to broadly understanding the business in a way that made me an ideal candidate. What was interesting is when I was put into the head of sales position at the Walt Disney Company. I'm 36 years old. I, yes, had a single sales job previous to it, but I was put in the role not because of my sales expertise. I wasn't, I was the least experienced salesperson on a team of a thousand people in 72 countries, right? Mm -hmm. I was put into the role because I had a diversity of experience for all of the different things that happened to intersect and interact with this relationship that exists between a studio, the filmmakers, the press, the people inside of the uh, you know studio teams like finance and, and marketing, like having had that breadth of experience, I was an ideal candidate, even though I didn't have depth in the single thing that I was being hired for. Mm. It, it's interesting because I've had, I can't even recall how many jobs <laughs> and I'm only 24, but I, I think you, you're onto something there by, I wouldn't know half the things that I would know if I didn't go through any of those, I guess, career choices. And one of the ones that I ended up falling into was real estate. And that one taught me how to interact with people because I'm naturally an introverted person. And I didn't know that I was going to be good at it, but I was thrown in the deep end immediately. And it was like sink or swim, Jay. And after failure, after failure, after failure, I finally kept picking myself up 
time and time again. And now I'm able to share what I learned through just one job experience compared to all the rest, being a Macca's fry boy at, at 13 years old, uh, delivering pamphlets uh, around the neighborhood, what that taught me as well. And my grandfather teaching me uh, the value of hard work and persistent consistency. And um, also like just mowing the lawn at his place and the attitude that you have during that, like it's so important. So I, I say to people as well, Dave, you've got to have don't put yourself in one box like open up the box and say what's inside there's probably countless opportunities for you but that's okay it's part of experiencing life i'm probably going off on a pretty big tangent here but i want to sort of uh shift it in asking you a question about your book so if someone was to pick up your book, which is get out of your way, get out of your own way and turn to any page or chapter, which one would you say open it to this one that is going to give you the most amount of, I guess, uh, perspective, impact? Is this going to hit you like a ton of bricks? Well, I'm going to not answer your question. I answer it in a different way because here's, here's, here's the thing I think I want people to understand about what the book is. The book is a, a, it's a bunch of lies. It is 20 lies that I believed that kept me in my own way, especially during this midlife crisis time in my life. And those lies are also in personal development parlance called limiting beliefs. Right. And so every one of those chapters, in some ways, was a belief that I had been programmed with that was maybe societally a part of some frame, some structure, could have come from my family of origin, the religion that I was raised inside of. But these beliefs, for whatever reason, were keeping me from showing up well for myself, for my family, for my life. And The idea of the book is to try and make these lies unbelievable, to turn turn a limiting belief into an empowering belief. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of how I would argue that you need to do it is to question where the story you're believing is coming from. Like, where's the story coming from? In one of the chapters, I tell the story about... Uh, not believing that things that are that are uh, available to other people are available to me. And I talk about running, right? I have become a runner. I mean, I ran 2,000 miles in 2020 because it was a hard year and running was how I process hard things. Hmm. But when I was from the beginning of my life till 36, I was not a runner. And I was not a runner in part because I'd been told a story that tall people can't run. And as a As a person who had accepted that story as my capital T truth, I never tested the hypothesis of that belief myself. And then one day I I went and ran a 5K. I was told that tall people couldn't run because of it being a thing that would affect their back or their hips or their knees. And my hips, my back, my knees, they were just fine after running three miles. And I ran some more and I ran some more. And what I realized is, oh, man, I had taken this belief and accepted it as truth without testing the truth of my own experience. Mm. And when I did, I realized that it was something that I need not believe any longer. So I'd ask, where did I get this belief? Does the storyteller have credibility? 
And if they do have credibility, do they have credibility on this topic in my life? And so for many of us, the storytellers of the things that we believe, even those that limit us, do end up coming from credible sources. For me, I love my mom. This story came from my mother. Right? Mm-hmm. She told me this story that was, by the way, a projection of her fear that she wrapped in love. She was worried about the possibility of me, her oldest son, hurting himself and told me a story, but packaged it as love. And so, yep, she does happen to be a credible source. Hmm. But is she credible on this topic in my life? And as it turns out, my mother is neither tall nor a runner. So Hmm. she actually has no credibility when it comes to whether or not tall people can be runners. And so when you find that the storyteller doesn't have credibility or that their credibility doesn't apply to this specific part of your life, be free, right? I can now free myself from this belief and turn something that was a limiting belief into an empowering belief. The book in each of these 20 chapters is the attempt to help you see some of yourself in my story, because I'm going to argue these are universal things that many of us all have struggled with during different parts of our life. But when you can question why you believe what you do, is there credibility or not? Do they have credibility on this topic and eliminate those things that aren't credible? You get the opportunity to make that lie unbelievable. You get to take that limiting belief and turn it into something empowering. Mm. I was having a conversation with Grant Cardone, one of the first big guests in the story box, and he said that similar thing. He's like, I wouldn't go to my mom for financial advice because she's not credible in that area. And I think you just, you nailed it on the head. But it kind of puts that old saying, your mom's always right <laughs> to, to bed a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but um, Dave, I want to be respectful of your time. I've really enjoyed this conversation. You've answered quite a few of my burning questions. A couple more if you don't mind, um, if you were to ask a question to anyone alive or dead, you've got your own, your own podcast. So you ask people questions all the time, but if you were to have someone that you could ask a question to anyone that's alive or dead, who would it be? Why? And what question would you ask them? Oh my, I, you know, like this is, this maybe sounds egotistical, but I like, I, I don't even know that it's a question as much as I'd like to have a conversation with my 26 year old self, Mm. right? Like it's 20 years ago. I think I know everything. (laughs) I am afraid of a lot of things. And I, in like knowing what I know now would love to just sit down with that cocky, scared, insecure. I mean, it was like, it's such a like contradiction of terms, but I was both. Right. And, and just tell that 26 year old version of myself that number one, everything I thought would make me happy would not. Right. Like I, in, in a way that doesn't take away from my ambition or my drive or the kind of success that I was able to create in my career just making sure that I was clear that, man, you're going to get to that place that you think once you get invited to that table, once you're on the list for that premiere, once you sit at the seats next to that executive or get that title, that that's the day that you're going to feel 
enough or worthy or good, that that's going to make you feel the thing that you're hoping for, that that's, you know, that that's not real. Impact, uh, my friend, is a thing that will unbelievably more affect the way that you feel than any kind of material thing, any kind of status-related thing. And, and the second thing I would tell myself is that most of what I was afraid of wasn't real, mm-hmm. right? Like so many of the things that I was worried about, and, and a lot of them end up actually also being in the book in, in like limiting belief fashion, the worry of what other people are thinking, the worry of how failure might be received, the, the worry of the worry of like so many of the things that my younger self was worried about, they were just, it was just so much wasted energy. Um, and so if I could go back and say, hey, the things you think will make you happy, those aren't really the things. It's really more about impacting others and being light. Uh, the things that you're worried about, that you're afraid of, those things aren't real. You're afraid of monsters that don't exist under your bed. Uh, there would be just so much more peace in the 20 years that ended up coming ahead. Mm. I, I would. I think I'd go back. I love that, by the way. I think I'd go back to my 20-year-old self. I mean, that's only like four years ago. But I had the very similar problem, thinking that I knew everything, thinking that I was the top gun, all the things. And then going back, making this all full circle, I had one failure after the next. And that taught me this important saying, that in failure, you learn one of life's most greatest lessons, humility, that you're not Mm -hmm. infallible, that you're not better than anybody else, that if we take away our works and our deeds, who are we really? We're flesh and bone and, and blood that every single other person on this planet has. So that makes you the same, except your, your beliefs, your characteristics, your handprints, all that is different. Yeah. But we're still human at the end of the so day. So true. Yeah. So true. Mm. Dave, my, my, my final question, I'll make this my final question, but it's my all-time favorite question. It's a hypothetical one. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of an argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Oh, man, what a great question. And I'm now going to answer it in a little bit of a different way because I use this kind of a visualization in my life to manufacture motivation on the days I don't have it. What's interesting is I've actually talked about two scenarios. Uh, at 40, I was thinking about my 60th birthday party. I've talked often about the film that will play at my funeral, which is morbid, but real. Um, the recognition in both of those instances, like your hypothetical 100th party or video, is that um, I am in control of what will be in that video between now and every day that I will live for the next 54 years of time until I get to 100. Mm. And why I use it as a visualization is not for the reason that you think. I have concocted two different scenarios for that dinner, the funeral montage of this 100th birthday party. And that is the first version is that people are 
toasting the impact that I have had in their life. They are teary-eyed and thinking about the way that I showed up so generously for them, modeled what it meant to be a good dad, a good friend, was generous with my time and my resources. But the reason why I do the exercises, I actually respond really well to negative visualization because the thing that gets me up on the mornings I don't want to go put my shoes on and go on that run is the version of that video if I don't show up for my life, if I give in to my coping mechanisms, if I don't keep up with my habits, if I don't stick to my morning routine, there's a version of my dinner at my 60th or 80th or 100th birthday where instead of it being a standing room only, everyone's toasting tears of pride kind of scenario that it's a half empty room where not all of my adult children have shown up because they don't have much to say. And I would ask anyone who's listening, as you're contemplating what you'd hope for that video to look like, to first connect to this reality that you are the author of that video, that the actions you're going to take every day are directly correlated to the things that they will say, the way that they will feel, and, and the way that it's you know shown up in my life is, is through something I've just called if then. Right? Like if I want the video to say these things, then I have to do this stuff in my life. If, then, if, then. And man, I can stay connected every single day, especially on the days I don't feel like it, because I do not have an internal combustion engine that is filled with motivation every single day. There are plenty of days where I'm like, ah, I just don't feel like it. But I try to connect to, all right, you got to get up and do this because to whom much is given, much is expected. You got to get up and do this because the intention of our creator is on the line because there was deliberate design in all of the things that you were given as gifts. And you have this responsibility to unleash this light that was put inside of you to the world. It was given as a gift so it could be given as a gift. And so, um, man, I hope that they say the nicest things. And I'm going to work every single day between now and the rest of my life, be it 180, 60, however many days I got left on this planet to honor the intention of my creator and do everything I can to, with what I've been given, give as much back as possible. Is that Bible verse Romans? Is it in Romans? Um, that I think it was um, Paul that said, uh, I'm blanking on it, that you are the author and finisher of your faith or something like that. I keep, I had the Bible verse in my head just a second ago. <laughs> it slipped. Um, I'll, I'm, yeah, I apologize for that. But anyway, it, it's to, towards what you're, what you're saying, yeah. that you are the author and bring glory to, to the creator, your God. And I love that, Dave. So thank you so much for your time. Where can people connect with you, learn more about you, buy your book? And um, yeah. Well, I hang out on social quite a bit. So if uh, you're on Instagram, it's Mr. Dave Hollis. Facebook, it's Dave Hollis. I, uh, as you mentioned, I'm a coach where monthly I'm a part of something that's a little bit like uh, uh, 
shoot, what is that called? Masterclass. Sorry. I'm a part of a coaching that's a little bit like Masterclass, where every single month there are 11 of us as teachers who are inside of this awesome community of like-minded people called Growth Day. And uh, if you're interested in being coached by me or a guy like Brendan Burchard, Mel Robbins, Jenna Kutcher, David Bach, Prince EA, Jamie Kern Lima, man, there's just a ton of amazing human beings. It's less than a buck a day. Go to growthday.com forward slash Hollis and join in on the fun. You mentioned I have a podcast it's called Rise Together. Uh, every Thursday, there's a new episode. And man, I love doing it, trying to bring people who have had a little bit of a different life experience in to share a little bit of their experience so that you might put yourself in their shoes. And uh, other than that, man, I'm, 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 I've got this one book that's out. I've, like you say, I've got a kid's book coming. I've got another nonfiction book called Built Through Courage that'll be out later this year. And uh, I'm enjoying life. So thanks for having me on, Jay. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, man. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Dave Hollis, thank you so much for coming on the Storybox podcast. You bet. really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.